0: So coming up on a really good enough parent podcast, I'm excited to be welcoming Dr. Laura Anderson. Uh, Dr. Anderson is a friend and professional colleague I've known for over 15 years. Um, She's an adoptive mom and um, runs Common Cord Therapy, is a prolific writer, speaker, trainer on the topics of parenting, adoption, um, racial and gender, sexuality, equity, um, and uh, is just a super interesting woman. So looking forward to that on episode two. I hope you'll stay tuned, and uh, thank you very much. Hi, and welcome to a really good enough parent podcast. My name is Christine Altweiss. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and for 30 years I worked in inter-country and domestic adoption and family counseling. I'm the clinical director at Pono Roots Counseling Center, where our focus is on family systems, and I'm also a mother. I've created a Really Good Enough Parent podcast in response to what we see every day in our clinic. Childhood mental health issues are skyrocketing, and it doesn't have to be this way. I know that really good enough parenting is a skill we all possess. As a parent myself, I also understand how easy it is to lose sight and to mistrust or panic in the face of a melting down child or an impudent teen. The good news is that you have what it takes to help your child. Take a breath. See your child's innocence. You can do this. This podcast will feature some of the incredible people I've been lucky enough to meet in my life. No two have raised their children the same and all have done a really good enough job. You'll hear new perspectives on how to handle tough situations. You'll be reminded of how your own parenting takes its cue from childhood. And hopefully you'll feel invigorated to go do a really good enough job at this most rewarding of all human endeavors. A Really Good Enough Parent podcast is designed to be story time for adults. So thanks for being here with me today. I do appreciate you. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to a really good enough parenting podcast. With me today is one of my most favorite people, longtime friend, Dr. Laura Anderson, and I will let her explain and introduce herself, her many titles, her many specialties, and expertise areas. Thanks for being here, Dr. Laura.
1: Thank you for having me, Christine. It's a, it's a pleasure, and I'm thrilled to be here. And yes, consider you um, life-changing. You had a life-changing role in bringing my family together, and that's how we first connected. Um, and beyond that, uh, lots of overlap. I'm a child and family psychologist, always worked with kids and teens for 20 years five years now, in lots of different settings, um, uh, schools, all kinds of different places. And I have some kind of niche areas I do with working with adoptive families and families raising gender expansive kids, um, sort of globally nomadic families. So a little uh, over time, uh, develop some, some really particular heart work. I do trainings and online courses and my own podcast, which I was thrilled to have you on. So um, I love sitting down and just sharing heart and head ideas. Well,
0: thank you for making the time. I know you're super busy. Um, I just want to start by uh, honoring that today is the 14-year anniversary of a really special time you and I shared in a country which has since changed its name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it's how we how we met initially. And um, one of the things that I love about your professional um, life and journey is that you um, jumped in as a mom and realized where there were gaps in knowledge and resources, and just threw yourself heart, head, soul, body, mind into learning everything you possibly could, and then even becoming an expert on these areas. Simply because, as a mama bear, you needed your son to have uh, everything that wasn't available to him. And so you went out and created it. And um, that is one of the many reasons why I love you. And um, maybe you can share um, anything about that that you're interested in sharing.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, I, there are so many times when, I mean, I know it, I don't know if we can say enough how completely humbling and disorienting um and unanchoring parenting is (laughs) I came in with a you know a lot of energy (laughs) and a whole lot of theory and um and great intentions and I had to really I mean it was super super you know humbling for all the reasons that all new parents understand that there was no way to know (laughs) what they were signing up for in terms of life changes but also additionally i mean my just just by a bunch of different you know intersectional identity and experience kinds of pieces my child is walking a really different walk than than i did um and 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 has some of the most incredible strengths that i could never i mean it's actually kind of fun like friends and, and family sort of chuckle about like the universe is having just a giant giggle on your behalf, <laughs> Lara, because of the ways that um, my son actually compliments me in in strengths and, and things. So I just continue to, to learn from him all the time. And especially in those earlier childhood years, I, I just had to completely rethink what I thought I knew about, um, be, quote, you know, behavioral management and regulation, both of myself and of him. So uh, it's really taken going, you know, I, I often say like in my podcast, like there were multiple parents in adoptive situations or parenting kids who've had some Some you know tricky starts and big losses, and just call them back and be like, "So, Sally, I'm really sorry (laughs) that advice I gave you in 1999. I meant well, but I really didn't understand the mechanisms you were dealing with. Sorry. I hope everything's good. You know, and like hang up because it's different. It's 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 just different. One of the Um, things that
0: I really feel strongly about, having worked in adoption for let's see, 20 years before I became a parent myself. So I spent 20 years advising, coaching, nurturing, supporting adoptive families with only theoretical knowledge. And it wasn't until I became a parent myself that everything came into focus and all the complexity started to show up. And um, you know, I, I felt that I finally had a legitimate voice. Um, and I think you know that's a big part of it is we can talk all day about theory, but when you're living it and everything is on the line, and you're carrying that child's well-being, you know, as your constant waking thought and, and feeling, um, it becomes very different.
1: Yeah, and and it's not, you know, like it, I I did an okay job at my job before. Like I like to think there are lots of wonderful impacts, but it's yeah, both the weight of actually parenting, and the understanding that that um, that that you need to be able to show up differently. And there's different, you know, and it's not all cases, of course, right. There's no singular adoptive story or adoptive family story, but, but like, you know, goalposts, it just changed like things I, things I assumed would, would happen needed to change things. I never thought would happen did. Um, I had to approach things really differently. There's a lot of family and friend education, Um, there, yeah, there've just been layers and layers of, of stuff that I needed to rethink and that feel quite different from, from other parenting.
0: Yeah. I, I think the older I get, the more radical my parenting approach is. And I really, I often talk about tossing out the old rule book and I, I love, uh, you know, confronting people who say, well, my parents did a good job, you know, um, Raising me by, you know, whacking me upside the head and telling me to not speak unless spoken to, or, you know, making sure I towed the line. And I and I say with all due respect, but imagine how much happier and healthier you might be <laughs> if you had had a little more of that attachment-focused, unconditional love, and meeting you where you're at, and honoring your voice, and that sort of um, new modern <laughs> thinking about parenting. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the details I love about our story, um, and I think you've just given me permission to share, it, is that we were in a small African country, um, and um, your child was very young, and my daughter, who I traveled with around the world, took her everywhere. She was about two and a half, uh, three. She was, no, three, maybe three at the time. Three, three, yes. She was somewhat <laughs> responsible. She was a lead. Three. she would have been in preschool <laughs> okay all right uh and we we um would set them up together on a great big bed and, and she would you know quote unquote babysit your son so you could go for a run and i could get the dishes done and whatever and um yeah i just i love you know i think so much of parenting is about being bold and exposing your children to um you know to the world to the extent that you can and i do realize that's a privilege not everyone can pack their baby up and travel the world, but um, you know, so many of those early experiences that my own kids had were really pivotal in I think their outlook. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. No, I think the, that's one of the things I talk about too, in terms of, um, parent. Yeah. I think it's parent when you're parenting with, a, 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 when you're parenting in ways that, that don't necessarily, you know, put Compliance above all costs, <laughs> or you couldn't. <clears throat> I would have liked to put compliance above all costs. I mean, believe me, in public, I, it wasn't awesome. You know, the times that there were massive meltdowns. I would have loved compliance in the supermarket, um, but when when you can't get that right away, regardless of what kind of super parent you are, because of what's going on with your kids, regulation, you, there is a there's a boldness even to that. I mean, being in the grocery store was bold for a while. in terms of like trying to get through stuff and and you really I do I think when I talk to particularly I mean we're we're sort of weaving through but if you if you have a visibly identifiable adoptive family um, I just think you, you, you just you invite you invite a lot of intrusion I think and and there's a boldness in just being able to square your shoulders, both for having a child who isn't regulating super well in public, and for being looking different, and people telling themselves whatever stories they're telling about how you came to be a family. Um, that one of the greatest qualities I think it, it 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 takes or it builds in people if you don't have it is you you have to believe what you're. Like, you have to believe, and some, some days it's easier than others, but you have to know that you know this is what your kid needs, regardless of what's happening around you, and keep your chin up, and keep your, you know, even if you're, you know, currently being held face down in your supermarket grocery cart by your child from the little basket in the front. Oh, you have stories <laughs> to tell. Even if your bum is up over the end of the shopping cart, because you wouldn't buy a little, you know, paratrooper. Well, That's a whole (laughs) other topic, taking our kids to the grocery store. (laughs) And
0: how often that's advisable.
1: Um, (laughs) So there is a boldness. So, so you have to develop a, whatever it is. You have to believe in the, you have to understand that your child needs different things. You have to understand that, that, that it is humbling, that you just have to weather judgment and and hold your values and hold your line and that's a lot easier said than done when things feel out of control
0: putting our ego aside so much of parenting success is about you know really realizing what they need and identifying that we had maybe preconceived notions about what they need and that in that moment and often even in the long run we have very different journeys the one we imagine for our child and the one that they need to take and really it's important to Honor and look at and and trust their journey to some extent. Um, so I realize this is turning into an adoption, really good enough parent podcast um, because I think there's some very important, not not necessarily. a lot of this is universally applicable. Um, but I think maybe there's also some valuable tips. so i'm I'm curious um, when you sort of look at the parenting you've done, um, professionally advised or what you've experienced with your own child, um, some things that you just sort of always share with parents now, um, tips in terms mm. of things to do and look for <coughs> when you're feeling. Uh, I don't know where to begin. Parenting is such a daunting task. What are some basic guidelines that I can hold uh, wholly
1: do you know that there's two key things that come to mind when I think about, yes, adoptive families are other families where, where kids are behaving in ways that aren't really expected for what's happening when there's challenges or there's things that you're trying to get through. One is the story we tell ourselves about why our kid is doing what they're doing completely shapes how... We approach it It completely shapes the energy, the exact same behavior. Um, If I tell myself my daughter is acting this way, you know, oh man, she's hungry. It's three. Oh boy, it's that hour where we should have fed her. And that was one too many errands. And like, okay, she's dysregulated. You know, she needs a snack. I'm going to approach that in a very different manner than she will never let me get errands done. You know, like this, when I personalize it or when I attribute will or manipulation (laughs) to a behavior, then, then I'm just going to match that. I'm going to come at that behavior with, with an energy and a frustration that only makes kids rear up. It, it just, and I remember when I was struggling earlier and, and it's funny for, for, anybody who happens to know me, my son, he, he's delightfully regulated in many ways now. Um, he, he, I mean, it, it, you would never have guessed. That's the other thing. You would never have, if you knew him, you would, you would not have read our situation as one that was frequently dysregulated based on all of his marvelous strengths. But there were, yeah, there were definitely some supports that I needed to help him learn um, how to self-soothe. So I think the the why in terms of how we understand like what does my child need to regulate not they want control they're you know want attention um, yeah they need they have needs and they need attention sure but if if we can understand that that kids do the best they can and that if things aren't going the way you need them to go. That if you're checking in about what they need, how they need to regulate, it just helps me show up with my knees bent and palms up, like to try to stay in that moment. So when, um, in my own family, when things were, um, you know, up and down and I was talking to friends again, who all meant well, and were not yet parents in one particular case was like, you know, Laura, the tail doesn't wag the dog. <laughs> that's that old school thinking that's that old right and i was and they were like you need to get big and and i said with all due respect if i get big he just gets bigger like it just it's a it's a meeting it's it's, it's a meeting of of energy and exasperation and it spins out and then i don't feel good about how i escalated so i'm like with all due respect. and i'm a person who like, i'm not exactly a wallflower <laughs>
0: You're not
1: I have a you're lot, not a wallflower. I have a lot of energy. Like for for my friends and family to think like I was somehow enjoying letting a toddler run over me. Like, no, that's not I'm not a I'm not a run over her kind of person. So I'm like, I'm I'm fascinated that you all think somehow I'm not enough of a presence to keep my kid uh y- you know, regulated. And so so I think that's the first piece is number one, like the story we tell ourselves about why impacts how we stay regulated what we, and what we do, quite frankly, because if you think it's power, or control, or attention, you're going to do something different than if you know they just need a snack. Then you're going to hand them a whatever, a granola bar now, and and problem solved in a lot of cases. They're, they're, not only do you approach with different energy, but you'll come up with different strategies. And in a related note, the other thing I say all the time in my office is, um, and this was a big shift for me, and it's different from some of the you know, behavioral theories. You cannot shape a behavior until you've soothed a child.
0: Say you that can, again.
1: You, you cannot shape a behavior until you have soothed a child, until a child is regulated and soothed and their frontal lobe is on line. <laughs> if you are dealing with fight, flight, the emotion center of a kid's brain because everybody's agitated or they're feeling unsafe in some way, you they're not going to learn. They don't learn. the fr- And, and so, so in the past, when I spend a lot of time with parents who were like, okay, so my kid does a behavior that I don't like. What's the one thing that I need to do in response to that behavior to make it go away forever? I'm like, it just... Nope. It's like teaching your kid to regulate, teaching them to identify when they're starting. Take a deep breath. Do some belly breathing. (laughs) Everyone calm down. (laughs) And you walk, I mean, like, no, I mean, I've definitely, and it'll look, it will look like you're caving. It will look like you're letting a kid get away with, you know, bad behavior while you regroup. And, and it may even look as if you're rewarding a bad behavior because you're giving them a snack or you're, you know, in the moment. And, and in the end, you, you cannot shape or teach until a child is soothed. Can't do it.
0: So one thing that I I say uh, along those lines, and I completely agree with you, um, parents often fear that if they cave, as you call it, or they coddle, they spoil their child, that their child won't learn all those valuable lessons. And, And so to that, we say, well, if you have a child who understands rules and, you know, what's expected of them and, you know, is always focused on doing all that stuff, but they're deeply unhappy, not attached, dysregulated, have no self-esteem, like, where are you with that, right? So I think we focus too much on making sure the child is compliant, as you started with, um, you know, and not making sure that the child is happy, healthy, connected to you, feels seen and heard has some self-esteem. Yeah. Like if that's our focus, you know, then on a day when your child can't pick up their shoes or pack their own bag, you do it for them. And they realize the world is a kind and gentle place and there's help available and I'm okay, even if I'm not doing my stuff. So. Yeah. And
1: I, and I think there's one of the things that I find that is tricky too, but not, not, not impossible is that, that if i'm okay recognizing that there are times when i'll just have to step in and do it and times when i wish i wish they could do this independently but they can't yet then i'll also <clears throat> recognize that i mean kids need they they need predictability sorry about the dog i don't know what to it's okay about. it's charming background noise <laughs> okay. I was gonna, we could hear Peacocks chime in in a minute if we're lucky. <laughs> Hopefully he'll quiet down out there. But um, uh, so because kids do need some sense of safety and boundary, right? So to me, there's the balance. They they do need to have a broad sense of expectations and predictability. They need to know you're going to help them learn to soothe, that that they are, you know, you are um leading it's not a situation where you're there are no boundaries or limits or or we never want to do something that will make our kid uncomfortable because I've seen people swing that way too, right? where they're like it, attachment parenting to the extreme and people who aren't fully understanding you, you know, think it means that you just then say yes to everything and don't set any limits and you always want to make sure your kid is happy. I'm like, no. No, they in order to feel safe they to even keep their frontal lobe online they must understand that you are in charge there are boundaries and you can be flexible with those like that's that's the thing and that compliance is not the end game so much as communication and skill building I mean honestly if people say to me what's the one thing that you would want your child to develop I mean <clears throat> I would love him Yes, love him to be happy and thriving, and I think resilience
0: (laughs) is the is the underlying.
1: (laughs) that's that's the underlying piece of that. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I
0: mean, how you um, adapted your own life for your child's needs um, is a remarkable story of, you know, how open we have to be. And how, as you said, you know, we have to be interested in their story and open to their story. Um, And in your case, you made some extreme moves to help find your child's happy place (laughs) and honor his story. Um, Which, you know, I think it's, it's a great thing. There's nothing wrong with moving your life to help your child if that's something you
1: can do. Yeah. And it was really, it's been... Yeah, it's been interesting. I would do it again. I mean, we spent some time, you know, in West Africa and and moved around to a couple different places for for a bunch of different reasons. And it's really they were all very different. They led to very different responses and reactions to our family and to our. It was it was super informative and helped me build skills for how to talk to my kid about the kinds of things that he'll. Um, face and understand it, it's interesting as he gets older to hear how he <laughs> thinks about why I did what I did like the number of times you know I think parenting is also a lot of tongue biting <laughs> like I'm like oh I wanted to tell him you know when he moans about why did we go to so-and-so I'm like <clears throat> Yeah, you know, where where he'll, or in my particular case, because I have a very fancy pants child, and he berates me for not, you know, being an independently, you know, an independent billionaire by this time in my life. When he is just dismayed about my financial planning deficits, in his mind, I'm like, oh, bite your tongue, bite your tongue, you know, kind of a thing. Like, when you're older, when the number of times I start a sentence was, when you're older, you, I'm like, no, no, Laura, no. I'm sounding <laughs> so, like my mother. <laughs> Yes, you understand so I, I this when yes. You're 35. <laughs> yes. yeah, and I, and I don't, yeah, so no, it was a luxury for me to be able to say like, Hey, where might there be places with other sort of, you know, culturally displaced folks in our situation? And what does that look like? And what would it be like to be surrounded by folks where he's not in a racial minority? So there were lots of different reasons why I picked up and moved and, and all, all super informative and in any place we were it still ultimately came back to how to get through tuesday's dinner, <laughs> Hi, and, nice how dinner. To get... <laughs> and the homework the, yeah. uh, the blessed whatever the concept around homework were. so yeah i think you know um, one of the
0: points that especially for blended families or biracial families or families who look different um you know i i don't think we can underscore enough the importance for children to have people around them who look like them. And, um, and sometimes it's not as easy as just doing that physical match because the cultural match is huge, as you experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it's often um, it hits my radar when parents' own egos or own needs for their child to be in a certain situation supersede the child's glaring needs. Um, I see that often with schools, especially here in Hawaii, where private schools are um, the desired outcome for many families. And and they all have very unique personalities, the schools and specific cultures and even, you know, dramatic majority demographic or racial profiles at some of the schools. And so if you stick your kid in a school where they just, you know, don't fit in, don't look enough like at least a handful of the kids or don't fit the energy of the kids. Um, But the kid got in, gosh darn it, and we're going to keep them there because it's the best school. You know, you just sort of think, oh, uh, what matters more here? The, you know, the name of the school or your kid's sense of belonging and happiness and achieving, you know, the
1: basics? Yeah, I think one of the things that I say about parenting is that I, and again, not not in multiracial, yes, but just in any family is that I had to be ready to change my idea of what is safe and what is best, because there are different places that my kid is safe than I was safe when I was his age. And there are different kinds of ways that he is unsafe based on how he navigates. So a safe neighborhood for me is not necessarily a safe neighborhood for him. Um, and and that takes being able to come out of your own perspective and to challenge what we've right. It's the water we swim in, um, and 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 also best. What does best school mean if you have a child who looks different or learns differently, or who, you know what? Like it, it, it. I think it really, it it forces parents to challenge our own automatic assumptions about what is a successful happy child and are we invested in that successful happy child because then we also are like (laughs) like well if they're looking like that imagine what you know imagine who did that you know sort of a thing it's an interesting there's both in there wanting your kid to be quote successful and happy and then also recognizing that we get points by proxy, you know, and and I think it really forces the issue of best for whom, best for what kind of learner, you know, how a person's doing their, any number of different identities they have and and, and being able to be flexible as a parent and recognize that um, those expectations, not only will they exasperate you and be incredibly anxiety provoking if it's not a good fit for your kid, your child's going to feel as if they're failing all the time. They're going to feel as if they're disappointing you and disappointing teachers and disappointing themselves. And that none of us would say that's what we want <laughs> for our kids. I mean, nobody wants our kids to, you know, child to feel like a constant disappointment. So, and it's not easy. I honestly think the school piece <clears throat> in parenting. If you're parenting a kid who who happens not to be the most classic learner, um, or has any kind of differential identity and learning needs, it's a it's really hard to find a fit that does a bunch of different things. And that's with all due respect to teachers doing the best they can. We're all doing the best we can with the system we have. But um, yeah, it requires us challenging our own expectations and our own, as you said, ego investment in you know, what the outcome of our kids' lives reflects about our worth. Yeah, there needs to be one goal, and that is a
0: child who loves themselves, you know, and feels comfortable in their skin and, you know, has, as you said, resilience. And the school piece can be huge. We talked about that when I was on your podcast that I want to start a school revolution because I'm just so sad about how many kids are, um, dysregulated and anxious going to school and that you know the parents can be working hard at home and the child comes home from school and it's just start all over from scratch because the kid got so beaten up you know emotionally during the day at school and again as you said it's not the fault of the teachers they're doing the best they can but I think the system itself has got its focus wrong right now and um, yeah. we're not meeting children where they're at and we're just trying to jam them all into a, a specific prescribed hole and um and I think a lot of damage is being done to kids who, who have certain, you know, talents to bring that just are being overlooked.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that's a big piece of, you know, part of what I see in my office um, and in my living room. Sometimes I'm like, ah, school schmool," <laughs> Like where, you know, maybe a couple of decades ago, if parents in my office had been saying that, there would have been a little pearl clutching. <laughs> On my part, a little bit like, well, I mean, you want to kind of stay, you know. and Now I'm sort of like, you know, you'll learn more with me if we go here for the day, kind of thing. And I mean, not that's an oversimplification, but the idea being that that um, it's just been it's been humbling. I think the other big thing that I say to is I, everybody has their own style, right? I mean, I tend to laugh at myself a lot, and um, find and the people in my Life will laugh at me and with me as well. Um, and that's been a huge uh, support for me. Finding other parenting like like um, in, in my case with the adoptive specific stuff, um, finding uh, resources for folks, other parents who just get it um, has been lovely. I remember um, when I w- went and did some sort of group, adoptive family things and I initially thought oh, this would be so good for my kid and I didn't realize how much I really needed that space and place um, and so I think there's also a nod to just it's a marathon we do the best we can today well, and repair 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 I would say that's the other big piece of parenting that I'm like resilience and, and repair and regulation there we go the three, three R's hours. <laughs> Ta-da! So, I'll say a little um, more about repair, if you don't mind. Because I mess up. I mean, I, I, I literally. I even as it's coming, I'm like, Doctor Anderson, no. As the like, you know, negative correction stuff or the sarcasm comes flying, or the, or the like, you know, I keep thinking to myself, what we say to our kids is that it becomes their inner voice. What you say to your kid becomes their inner dialogue, and and I can. I know that, and when I'm frustrated that this is the 700th time, you know what I mean. Like, it's it's humbling. It's hard. It's hard. And so, there are many, many times that I have had to come back to to it. And then I work with lots of families, and we talk a ton about this the the rupture and repair cycle that when everybody dysregulates and the connection gets interrupted from any number of reasons that to be able to come back and be like, wow, you know, like that is not how I want it to show up. That is not, um, there's an example of somebody who should have taken a little bit of a break or (laughs) I should have had my own snack before I started that, or I should have recognized that was, that was more important to you. I, I didn't realize, um, that you were hurting or that you were worried. And if I could have a do over, here's what I would do. Um, and just snuggle. I mean just if you have a kid who will let you do snuggling or sit and do a parallel activity with them if you're if you don't have a snuggle and touch kid um that you're, you know, tandem something. Um I think is really important that that there are ways that we can just say, you know, I'm sorry. I I I did not mean to use that tone or those words or um you know, and as your kids get older that your language around that, you know, can change, (laughs) you know, I mean, we talk, we talk a lot about, you know, the donkey. Well, I was a total donkey this morning, you know, like just being able to come back and model for your kids. It does a couple of things it models regulation. It models accountability and it reminds them that, that you do care how they're feeling and, and how that, that you are connected and that they're seen. And safe,
0: and that's actually uh, one of the main tenets, or basically the foundation of the good enough parent philosophy, which we're now calling the really good enough parent, um, is that children need to live in both worlds. They need to have that um, that that ideal life modeled initially, where their attachment needs are met and the parent is there, always helping, constantly cooing and taking care, and then slowly, as it's developmentally appropriate. To start showing that the world is actually a flawed place, gently introducing reality so that the child doesn't wake up one day and go, Wait, what? Uh, My needs aren't always gonna be met instantly the second I snap my fingers. Um, So that, you know, being just good enough rather than aiming for perfection gives your child a much better, um, you know, grasp on reality and allows them then to ease into life that's reality based rather than fantasy world. So when we make mistakes and we can apologize or we can talk it through with our child, that's a really great, um, great thing to do. I, what, what I don't recommend um, are, are many of the things I've done. <laughs> For example, uh, I once, apparently once cursed at one of my children. I mean, I curse a lot. I, I will admit that I love cursing and I, I like all the studies that are coming out that say that people who curse are the most honest and interesting people. I'll take it. Um, but um I once called one of my children well I don't think I called the child a jackass but I said something like that was a jackass move and that has (laughs) never been forgotten like I think it was 10 plus years ago and that still is brought up all the time about how I swear at my children Um, you know so
1: well I told you my famous blunder one was my marshmallow Do, do you remember the marshmallow story no Tell me oh yeah story. remind me okay dr anderson's well well i know we need to wrap up at some point here but like i, I will tell you okay so here's dr anderson with a four-year-old dr Anderson's uh you know and it, i wish i had more than one child <laughs>
0: You I could say it was my niece or my all nephew you can handle
1: right now. Sorry. He's a handful. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no. He's going to be like, thank you. Okay. So he came to me like 19 times wanting marshmallows, gave him a couple marshmallows. I'm busy doing, you know, can I have a marshmallow? Can I have a marshmallow? Can I have a marshmallow? I was like, no, can I have a marshmallow? I'm like, Hey, that's enough sugar. You know, whatever. Like, okay, buddy. Try to distract him, try to do all the right things. And then he was like, I need to have one more marshmallow. And so I say to him, if you ask me one more time, I'm going to drive over those marshmallows. <laughs> so he steps back away and he goes, can I have a marshmallow? <laughs> and I took a Ziploc baggie of marshmallows out into <laughs> the driveway. <laughs> and with my four-year-old standing in horror in the, safely, in the garage, I got into my car. <laughs> And pop the Ziploc bag, right? forward back backward three, and then we were both laughing hysterically. And then the marshmallow story lives on as one of like the low points of all time. But it helps me when I connect with other parents because I'm like, like this is Doctor Anderson, like literally backing up, and then the marshmallows are squished all over the Ziploc, and so it's become. Rather legendary in our family for mom's about to have a marshmallow moment. Like if things don't go in a different turn. And if I can just sort of add
0: that, um, how we always talk about the need for um, consistency, and if you're gonna threaten it, you gotta do it right. Like that's, <laughs> that's the number one thing. If you're gonna, if you're gonna threaten it, you have to be willing to execute. That's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when he
1: no, and when he said it, I, I froze. I'm like, oh, oh, you know what? He just totally punked me. Like. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, he's got to know that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. So out (laughs) i marched, And I mean, honestly, to hear him tell it now is pretty funny. Uh, In turn, his little eyes were just huge. And again, I was like, nice one, Dr. Anderson. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, it's very humbling. And and you need to repair. I had to do some (laughs) repairs. Yeah. That. And, and then he said, like, I can't. And this is the best part. From the window, he says, Mom, you're ruining food. And from the car window, I say, marshmallows aren't really food. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be right. Got to have the last word. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, now that I've lost all credibility with anybody who's listening, no, I promise, uh, hopefully that's joining for parents who listen because, and I do, I talk about it a lot in, in my work that, right, being a really good enough parent in that situation is like, oh boy, okay, so now what can I salvage from that, that, right, how, you know, I, yeah love my kid, want him to understand, uh, safety boundary, healthy eating. Like what's a way to, you know, backtrack this and, and stay connected to him. And, and, and yeah, so we, we're all going to have days where we wish we had done stuff in very different manners and being able to just come back and say like, oof, yuck, you know, is okay. That's part of it. That's a big part of it. In fact, because this is an imperfect life and it's tricky.
0: And one of the things I'm sure you see a lot in your therapy room, which I certainly see way too much of, is um, traumatized adults who tell stories of childhood when their parents lost their stuff, lost their you-know-what, and um, didn't handle the situation well. And I think that's why the repair piece is important because you may initially stumble, but it's how you fix it. And in your case, what I love about your parenting style, and I think your your child is so lucky to have this and it, it clearly has bound you, is the sense of humor. And you know, not taking ourselves too seriously, not taking the situation too seriously, being able to be human and get over your own pride in that moment and laugh at yourself. And that just sort of is the best great big hug and band-aid all in one. Yeah,
1: yeah it's, yeah, I'm lucky that was modeled for me, uh, you know, in terms of uh, in, in my own uh, home and just, yeah. And again, I think having, I would say too, having a, the good girlfriend or the somebody, anybody, if you're a co-parent, have a co-parent cool and they're that for you. Awesome. If not finding somebody to be like, Oh my gosh, you know, all time low today, you know, kind of a thing. And, and like, I got to shake it off. Help me shake this off. Um, is, is super important in yeah. being able to yeah. that as well.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for the three hours. I definitely like that. The repair resilience regulation. Regulation. (laughs) Before we wrap up, do you have anything you're obsessed with or focusing on right now in your life that you want to share as a resource with other parents? Oh, a book, a podcast,
1: Um, a movie, a thought. A book, a book. Um, I was like, well, self-servingly, I'm obsessed with my own online courses for parents of gender expansive kids, but that's just because that's been exciting and fun. That's not for everyone. If you happen to be a parent with a kid on a gender journey, you can check those out. Name them. Um, So how do they find them? uh, Yeah, it's called Transformative Parenting, and it's uh, on Thinkific. If you just look up Dr. Laura Anderson, Thinkific. It'll be in the show notes, too. Yeah, so that I'm... And I learn, I just keep the, honestly, my greatest, it sounds so hokey, but it's true. My greatest source of learning is the kids themselves in my office and the families that I um, spend time with. Um, I really, I also for adoptive parents, I think I would also say find adoptee voices, find adoptee voices. Um, Angela Tucker does the adopted life. She's started a, a, a book tour Um, The book title is You Should Be Grateful. Um, She's brilliant. There's a lot of
0: YouTube
1: stuff that she does. She does some great stuff. I really like how she balances Mm -hmm. the nuances of this beauty that is adoptive families as well as the complexity and the the loss that can be woven in. So I really, I enjoy uh, her work a ton in particular.
0: And she's African-American adopted into a white family for those who don't know her. And she's been a great voice of... As you said, the complexity and the fact that there is not one size that fits all, and we just need to be opening and open and listening to our kids and curious about them. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing today. I love chatting with you. I love that it's our 14th anniversary of driving away from the little country that we visited, that your child came from, that uh, changed your life, my life, his life. I'm the luckiest, the luckiest of lucky ever. So yeah, thank you. You're a great parent. It's been really nice chatting with you. Thank you, Dr. Dr. Laura Anderson. (laughs) This has been another episode of a really good enough parent podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd leave me a rating or subscribe. Subscribing helps boost my ratings, and rating me obviously helps boost my ratings, but only if you like what you heard. But apropos that, whether or not you do or don't like this, I really do like feedback. So please drop me a line if you'd like. Let me know if there's someone you want me to interview or a certain topic you'd like me to tackle. You can find out more about A Really Good Enough Parent podcast on the Pono Roots website at ponoroots.com. Org. That's P-O-N-O-R-O-O-T-S dot org. Pono Roots is a nonprofit program, and if you wish to support our work, donations are always welcome. And with that, I'll leave you a quote from Carl Jung and something that my children remind me of every day. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. Thank you. Take care. Aloha. George loves Detroit.